edition i'm olivia joined by my co-host rashmi today we're gonna put together all that we've learned about taxes so far we know what they are how they work specific types for government and state as well as different types of tax forms and we also know that we could classify taxes into two types in terms of how they're filed ones filed at the time of transactions and taxes completed during tax season which you have to file and send to the irs So there is no way of getting out of immediate taxes. All that we can really do is expect and estimate how much they will cost while we're making out any purchases. For example, we shouldn't know about sales taxes, which apply to almost all purchases we make. Olivia, do you know what are sales taxes in Connecticut? I think it's around 6%, right? That's usually how much I'll estimate an item will cost more. Yeah, the Connecticut sale tax is at 6.35%. So do you wanna know how I remember? So when I was little, I was at the Dollar Tree with my parents and I had a dollar on me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to buy myself an amazing toy or whatever. And I go up to the register. I picked out my little thingy. I'm checking out and the cashier is like, okay, give me your payment. And I give her a dollar and she's like, I need six more cents. And I'm like, what? It was supposed to be one dollar. But I was short by six cents and my parents had to pay for the rest. Good old sales tax. And that's exactly why we got to keep sales tax in mind. And if we don't, we always run the risk of being short on money like that six cents to pay for our purchases. Six cents. Yep. Most states sales tax ranges from around four to seven percent with an average of around five percent. So Connecticut's unfortunately on the higher side of sales tax. Yeah, but our main focus today is on the taxes we file in April. April is tax season because it's when everyone will file their income taxes with the deadline being April 15th, right in the middle of that month. And as we've discussed in a previous episode, it's in every working individual's best interest to file, even if you don't make the minimum taxable income, because you could get a refund from the IRS. Before all that can happen, though, you need to prepare and file your taxes correctly. So what can be done leading up to that? First and foremost, you should be saving all of your tax documents. This includes paychecks, receipts, medical bills, charitable donations, save everything. And as you do that, keep an eye on your income. Look to the year-to-date section of your paychecks to see how much income you made so far in the year. Count up your income to see what bracket you may fall into. Make sure to include all of your income and add up what you have from multiple jobs or other revenue sources, such as rental property or investments. Now, all of these papers may be really overwhelming if you keep them disorganized in a random corner of your house, all piled on the floor, or a random file or files on your computer. And that's why we suggest you to create a storage system where you can access all of your financial documents. Keep everything stored together. So when tax season comes around, you don't have to go scrambling around and searching for any other information you've been missing. I recommend making a folder, whether it's digital or physical, for each part of your financial documents. So you can make one for your income information where you keep all your paychecks and one for all your card payments, one for all your receipts, etc. I like to have an encrypted digital folder with all of my paychecks. That way I can access them really easily and efficiently, but there's a password protecting it from being accessed by anyone else other than me. 
Yeah, I agree. I think digital marketing is probably a better way to go about it. And guess what? You should be saving this information into future tax seasons too, just in case anything goes wrong. The IRS recommends that you stole fi- store files for up to three years after you use them to file. So now that we have all this information, what's next? When tax season is closed, employees should be receiving forms about how much income they've made that year. Full-time employees will get a W-2, and a freelance or contract employees might get a Form 1099-NEC. Forms also come for income on investments or paid student loan interest. You can't file until you've received this information. It's needed to fill out Form 1040, on which the IRS has individuals file income taxes. But before you file, there is one thing that you still have to figure out. Your filing status. Filing status determines many things about your tax return, including what tax brackets you fall under and what deductions you might be able to apply for. Most importantly, the correct filing status will get you the lowest taxes and the largest refund. And we don't want to pay more than we need to, so definitely make sure you get that right. So there's five different filing statuses. First and foremost is single. It is the most common type of filing status, and it applies to anyone who is unmarried and does not have any qualifying dependents. Head of household is for unmarried individuals who have at least one qualifying dependent for whom they pay to keep the home running. Married filing jointly is for married couples, so is married filing separately. For most married couples, married filing jointly has the highest standard deduction and other income limits for certain credits and deductions. But high income earners who are married may benefit from more from filing separately. This keeps their income separate for tax purposes and can prevent them from taking on tax liability that would hurt a joint return. Yeah, and then the final filing status is qualifying widower, which applies to surviving widows. This status can be claimed two years after their spouse is passing if they have a dependent. So actually, if your spouse has recently passed, you could still file jointly for that year. When you file your state tax return, you will most likely have the same filing status. Once you have figured out your documents and prepared your filing status, all that's left is to decide what credits and deductions you're able to take. It's also worth considering if you can be claimed as a dependent by someone else. Lots of young adults receive help from their parents for their finances by filing as a dependent, even after they've landed a job and started earning some money. If your parents are still helping with your living expenses of paying for part of your education, there's a good chance that they could claim you as a dependent on their tax return. So how does that work? Parents can claim someone who as their dependent in two ways, as a qualifying child or a qualifying red- relative. A qualifying child is anyone who's under the age of 19 or under 24 as a full-time student, with more than half of their financial support coming from their parents. Qualifying relatives are for anyone who doesn't qualify as a child, but earns less than $4,700 for 2023, or lived with their parents all year and has had them pay for at least half of their total support. Even if you're claimed as a dependent, you have to file your own return, just indicating that you can be claimed as a dependent on another return. Claiming a dependent can provide certain tax credits that can decrease your tax obligations. Tax credits, as well as deductions, lower your overall tax bill and possibly increase your refund. So it's always in your best interest to claim everything you're entitled to. Common credits include education credits, student loan interest deductions, standard or itemized deductions, earned income tax credits, and there are many, many more. For example, 
Education credits like the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifetime Learning Tax Credit reduce your tax bill for part of tuition and other expenses paid for attending college or other educational costs. The student loan interest deduction can deduct up to $2,500 in interest payments depending on your modified adjusted gross income. Standard deductions apply to everyone, ensuring that all taxpayers have at least some income not subject to federal income tax. Itemized deductions can reduce your taxable income as well, but taxpayers have to choose between one or the other. You cannot take both the standard and itemized deductions. Yep, and some other common deductions include a savers credit, which applies to anyone who is not a full-time student or claimed as a dependent if they contribute to a retirement plan. The amount of credit depends on filing status and income. For those filing single in 2023, there could be they could be elig- eligible for their adjusted gross income is $365,000 or less, whereas individuals married filing jointly are eligible if their income is $73,000 or less. Yeah, and self-employed individuals can also apply for deductions for work-related expenses like office supplies. Anyone donating to charity can also deduct certain qualified charitable donations if they itemize their taxes. But don't worry about figuring out what credits you can claim. If you have someone helping you file your taxes or are using an online service, they will most likely ask a few simple questions and figure out what you're eligible to claim for you. Remember, the IRS strongly recommends filing taxes online since it decreases risk, increases the speed of your refunds being issued, and lets them be directly deposited into your bank. There are a lot of resources that can help you with filing your taxes. Next episode, we'll take a look at some of them. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Community Corner Podcast, Personal Finance Edition. This is Rashmi and Olivia, cashing off.